Chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can be seated. I want to talk to you today about the lost meaning of the Lord's Supper. The lost meaning of the Lord's Supper. Uh, one of my jobs, and I take this very seriously, is uh, I can't allow you to take what happens here as mundane. Don't we all fall into that trap? I've come to church and it's just a box that we check and we don't come with any sort of expectation. One of the things that I work really hard at, and the Lord has blessed me in this way, he's been so kind to me in this way, I come here every Sunday with a spirit of expectation. I come here every Sunday with a spirit of expectation. Because this is what I, when I read in the Bible, every place that Jesus showed up, things got better. Blind people could see, lame people could walk. Uh, people that were hungry were fed. People that were broken were restored. People that were dead were brought back to life. And Jesus said this, wherever two or three gather in my name, what does he say? There I am in their midst. The Bible says the Lord inhabits what? The praises of his people. And so I am convinced that when we come together in Jesus' name, we gather around his word, we lift up our voices to him that there's something that's about to happen. I'm convinced of that. And so one of the things that, that is so easy for us to do because we do this week after week after week is we take these things for granted and we forget, we forget how powerful it is what we're doing in this place. We forget about this spiritual, this supernatural, this eternal potential that exists in this moment. And so we, can't, we cannot allow ourselves to do that. Today, I want to remind you about how powerful the Lord's Supper is. We take it week after week, and I think a lot of times we just put that cracker in our mouth, we put that juice in our mouth, and we don't think about what's actually happening. Today, I want to remind you of how powerful it is. Let's all stand together. Mark chapter 14. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them and said, He said, take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, we, we come here today and we are overwhelmed I am overwhelmed, Lord, that you're here. The God of all creation, come to visit with us. That you put on skin and bones so that we could know you. Thank you, Lord. I pray today that we don't take it for granted. Lord, please don't let us take your body. Don't let us take your blood. Don't let us take your, your life for granted, Lord. Fill us up today. 
seal us once again today for your purposes, for your will, eternally. Lord, this is your space. This is your moment. Have your way. Have your way in me. Have your way in us. Have your way in this church. Have your way in this city. Have your way in this state. Lord, have your way. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment. Just pray for those that are around you. I'd ask today that you pray for, there's a family in Mount Sterling, and they just lost their son in a four-wheeler accident. Just lift that family and all the people involved, lift them up. In the house today is a young man named Weston. I pray, I ask that you pray for him. He, uh, he serves, and uh, he's going back overseas here shortly. Just pray protection, provision for him. Say a prayer for Dave and his family. Continue to lift them up. Take a moment, pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I need a tissue. Okay. I'm going to turn my mic off, okay? You guys don't listen to this. Okay, I'm ready. In order to understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, we need to be reminded of the context. Early in Mark chapter 14, you remember that Jesus told his disciples to go and prepare the Passover feast. And so uh, they're celebrating a, a festival, a feast known as the Passover. The Passover is a celebration uh, marked by a special meal that commemorates God delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So let me just remind you of, of that, that situation. Um, the, the people of God, God's chosen people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, they had been in Egypt for about 400 years. They'd been slaves, uh, harshly treated. They were worked hard. They were poorly fed. Uh, they were viciously abused. Uh, Pharaoh ordered that uh, the firstborn son, this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, the firstborn son of the Israelites be killed because the Israelite nation was growing too big and it was beginning to be a threat to Egypt. And so um, God saw this and he heard the cries of his people. And one of the boys that uh, Pharaoh commanded to be killed was miraculously saved. It's a guy named Moses. Years and years later, God came to Moses uh, in, a, in a powerful, powerful um, display, and he called Moses to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. Uh, fulfilling a promise that he had made to Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham and all of his descendants that he's always going to protect and provide for him, and that eventually they'd be a blessing to the nations. So through 10 plagues, and you guys remember the story, through 10 plagues, God miraculously won the victory for the Israelites. The final plague was the de decisive blow to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It was the death of the firstborn son. And so they were paid back for the crime that they committed against God's people. God put it back on them, but tenfold. And so uh, what, what happened, uh, the, there was an angel of death that would visit every home in Egypt and kill the firstborn uh, son in each home. But God promised to spare the Israelites and their families if on the appointed night they would kill a spotless lamb. And they take the blood from the spotless lamb and they spread it on the doorpost in the frame of their home. 
and that served as a sign of who the people of God was. The people of God had the blood on their doorpost. It's also served as a seal of protection against the angel of death. And so um, the, uh, they were also instructed to eat the lamb in full because they were about to have a, a rapid exit from Egypt. They needed to store up their strength. And also they were instructed to make bread, but not bread that has leaven in it because they don't have time to let the bread rise. Instead, this is supposed to be unleavened bread. It's flat bread. And this is going to be fast food for them as they're heading out of Egypt. So on the appointed night, the Israelites did all that the Lord commanded as a sign and a seal, spreading the blood on their doorposts and eating their last meal in Egypt. That night, there was weeping and wailing in Egypt, is what the Bible tells us. Uh, The angel of death visited each Egyptian home, taking their firstborn son. And by that morning, Pharaoh had released all the Israelites and all the Egyptians were paying the Israelites to flee from Egypt. They were like, we will give you our things, just please go. God had won the victory. He had secured their freedom, made a way for for them through the Red Sea. You guys remember this story. He provided for their needs all through the wilderness and he prepared a place for them in the promised land. As they made their way out of Egypt, God commanded the Israelites, he says, I want you to have a festival every year and have a a, a meal to remember and commemorate this miraculous event. So this annual feast called the Passover, it proved to be one of the most powerful inspirations for the people of God throughout the centuries, especially through their darkest, most difficult seasons. To the point that Here we are, 1,500 years later, after Moses had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, Jesus and his disciples are still celebrating this feast. All the Jewish people are still celebrating this feast 1,500 years later. Uh, In the middle of Jesus' most stressful and most important week, uh, Jesus goes to great lengths to prepare this elaborate meal. So it's very, very important. This symbolic meal served as a retelling of the Exodus story. Each part from slavery to deliverance to the wilderness to the promised land. The meal was structured around four cups of wine. I'm tempted to make a joke about some of you wives in here with four cups of wine, but I'll, I'll refrain from doing that. Each cup was drinking, not just women, somebody says, okay. Each cup was drinking in the promises of God found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Let me read it to you. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. This is God speaking to Moses before he delivers them. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so this, this, this uh, passage and these four cups gave the structure for the Passover meal. There's four cups. Cup number one is called the cup of sanctification. Uh, This is where where God says to Moses, I will bring you out. Cup two is the cup of judgment. I will deliver you. Cup three is the cup of blessing. I will redeem you. Cup four is the cup of consummation. I will take you in. And so uh, the meal, this is how the meal would, would begin. They would have a ceremonial hand washing, and this was to purify their hearts, and prepare them for this sacred moment. This is holy ground. This is, this is a special, this is a supernatural moment. So they prepare themselves with a ceremonial hand washing, and then they would, uh, they would drink the first cup of wine. This is called the cup of sanctification. 
And this is where they remember that God brought them out from the hardship that they experienced in Egypt. And so after they would take the first cup of wine, in the middle of their table were, were three pieces of flat bread, of unleavened bread. And so they would, they would all, the whole family, would just take a pinch of unleavened bread and they would dip it in bitter herbs. This was to remind them that the Israelites, when they were in Egypt, they had a bitter life and it was marked by, uh, by a lack of provision. It was marked by scarcity. They never had enough to eat. So they would just take a little pinch and they would dip it in bitter herbs and then they would eat that. Then they would drink the second cup of wine. This is the cup of judgment or the cup of deliverance. And they would remember that God delivered them from slavery. He did the work. And it was an act of judgment against the Egyptians. After which they would eat the Passover lamb. Now you gotta understand the Passover lamb had, had been hand-selected by the family, spotless, taken to the temple. The priest killed the Passover lamb uh, in the appropriate way. And then the family would take the lamb back home and then they would, they would roast the lamb. And then they were instructed to eat all of the lamb, to take all of it in. This commemorated the Lord's judgment of the final plague and the Lord's deliverance from the angel of death. Jesus and his disciples are in the middle of celebrating this meal when Mark picks up the narrative. Okay, so Mark chapter 14, verse 22. As they were eating, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And so um, as they're eating, this means they're right in the middle of the meal, Passover meal, they're right in the middle, They've, they drank the first cup, they ate the pinch of bread, dipped in bitter herbs, they drank the second cup, and they've also eaten the Passover lamb in full. And so this is the part of the meal where they eat the rest of the bread. How many of you know that carbs are a gift from heaven? How many of you know that? Amen. Amen. Low-carb diet is from the pit of hell, okay? And the Passover is evidence of that because this is what they do. This is kind of, this is the beginning of the celebratory event. In, in, Israel, in Egypt, they were in scarcity. Now they have an abundance. And so they eat all of the bread. All of it is gone. And so this is, this is a signified God's abundant provision to the Israelites. Uh, in the desert, on the way to the promised land, they had all they needed. So this is what Jesus does. He, he blesses it and he breaks it. This is still part of the sacred, symbolic Passover meal. They're, they're very familiar with all that's happened up to this point. He gave it to them, and then Jesus did something that's totally shocking to his disciples. They'd never experienced this before. Nobody had ever done anything like this before. He says, take it. This is my body. This is my body. And so what Jesus does in this moment, he hijacks the Passover meal. He claims it as his own. And this is what he's saying to his disciples and to the rest of humanity. What happened in Egypt was foreshadowing. What you've been celebrating for 1,500 years, it was all a primer pointing you to the work that I'm going to do. Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. In other words, what God started in the Passover, the very first Passover, God brought to completion in Christ. Moses freed the slaves from oppression in Egypt. Jesus Christ freed believers from the power of sin. Moses won the victory over Pharaoh. Jesus Christ won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Moses delivered God's people into the promised land. Jesus Christ has delivered God's people into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus broke the bread. He broke it. 
He blessed it and he broke it. He called it holy and then he broke it. This is signifying his holy body being broken for us. It signifies the abuse that he's about to take in the next 24 hours for the sake of all who would believe. And he gave it to him. He gave it to him. Uh, John 3.16. What's John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave us the bread from heaven to be broken. He was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed because of our transgressions. He was punished to give us peace. He was killed to give us life. Jesus Christ gave us himself so that we might have communion with God. So Jesus says that this bread is his body. As the flat bread sustained the Israelites in the desert, Christ's life will sustain believers through this world. As the the unleavened bread and as the bread from heaven sustained the Israelites in in the desert, in the barren desert, the words of Christ, the life of Christ, the activity of Christ, the presence of Christ is what are gonna sustain us believers in this dark age that we find ourselves living through. You see, without this bread, without this communion, you will starve in the desert. How many of you know that? Often from firsthand experience. Without Christ, you will grieve without hope. Without Christ, your pain is meaningless suffering. Without Christ, your guilt and shame will condemn you. Without Christ, your enemies will triumph over you. But no matter what desert you're wandering through, in Christ, you will always have more than enough. In the desert wandering, the Israelites received miraculous bread from heaven. And they permitted, they were permitted every single day to go out and gather as much bread as you need, because some people need a little bit more carbs than others to survive. Amen? Get as much bread as you need for each and every day. Jesus says in John chapter 6, he says, I am the what? Bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I read this this week, and I was reminded of another time Jesus blessed the bread, broke it, and gave it. A multitude of people, 20,000 people had gathered around him. They were, they were inspired, enthralled by this, this Jesus man. They just followed him around everywhere. So there's 20,000 people. They're on a hillside. And in that moment, Jesus is compelled to feed all the people there in the multitude that day. His disciples are like, there's no way we could feed all these people. It's too many people. It would take a year's worth of wages to feed all these people. And, and Jesus is like, well, what do we have? And he says, uh, they say, well, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And so what Jesus does is he, he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and then he gives his disciples. You remember what happens next? The disciples distribute all the food. And what the Bible says is that each and every person, 20,000 people, they ate until they were Thanksgiving Day full. You know Thanksgiving Day full where you got to unbutton the belt buckle or you got to wear your stretchy pants? They ate until they were totally satisfied. And then the Bible says there was 12 basketfuls left over. Is there anyone here that can testify that God's grace, grace is sufficient in our time of need? All you've got is five lows. God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. 
All, all, you, you, are, you are trapped. You are wandering in a desolate desert. God's grace is sufficient. You are walking through the darkest valley of your life. God's grace is sufficient. If you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. What does Jesus say? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Give me Jesus. Give us Jesus. If we have Jesus, we have all we need. He'll supply it. His grace is sufficient. And we're reminded of that every time that we eat that bread. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this desert. I'm not alone in this valley. I'm not alone in this trial. I'm not alone in this tribulation. Jesus Christ himself is with me. I can do it because he's got my back. He'll supply my every need. Now, here's one of the things that I was curious about this week. Maybe you thought about this before. How come Jesus identifies himself with the bread and not with the lamb? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why does he? Because the lamb kind of seems like it would make more sense. Let's keep reading. See if we can figure this out. Verse 23. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the third cup of the Passover. This is what's known as the cup of blessing. This is the redemption cup. This is the celebratory victory cup. This is the battle is one cup. This is the enemy is defeated cup. This is the cup for the other side of the Red Sea. The threat has passed. We are in the clear. We're on our way to the promised land. It's that cup. Verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So again, Jesus hijacks this third cup, this cup of blessing. He says, this, this blood, the wine, is my blood. And he says, this blood equals a covenant. And a covenant is a promise between God and his people. Here's the promise that God has made with his people. I will bless you. I will protect and provide and save you. You will be obedient to me. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. I'll take care of you, and you'll trust me to follow. The reason that Jesus doesn't associate his body with the lamb is because there is no longer a need for the lamb. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we learn that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And so the original Passover lamb that was sacrificed at the temple, it was ineffectual. That's why God's people, for 1,500 years, year after year after year, they had to go to the temple and sacrifice a spotless lamb to atone for their sins. Jesus Christ was the spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world once and for all. As a one and for all perfect sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe throughout all of history. And so, friends, you don't have to search for or secure a spotless lamb. You don't have to travel to the temple. You don't have to update your forgiveness year after year. You don't have to renew your standing with God year after year after year. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the righteous requirements of God in full on your behalf. On the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. The power of sin, the sting of death, the accusations of the enemy, it is finished. There's no more work to do. When you surrendered your life to Christ, when you were buried in the watery grave of baptism, when you were resurrected to new life, you, in that moment, were washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
You were sealed for the day of salvation. And so when you drink the cup week after week, the cup of blessing, you are drinking into your life forgiveness and healing and power and the life-giving blood of Christ. Friends, I got great news for you. The doorpost of your soul has been covered by the blood of the Lamb, such that the curse has no choice but to pass over you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is in covenant with you. He is in contract with you, and his contract is written in blood. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are adopted into the family of God. He will protect you. He will provide for you. He will guide you. He will save you. You have been set free. You have been saved. You have been redeemed. The enemy is absolutely defeated. There is no death in your future. You are no longer a slave. In Christ, you are victorious. In Christ, you are destined for the promised land, and there is absolutely nothing that the devil can do about it. The cup, the blood of the covenant, is a sign and a seal of your deliverance. You've been blessed. You are blessed. You will be blessed. That's why Jesus says this, verse 25, Truly I tell you, I'll no longer drink of the fruit of the vine. That should be in quotation marks, the fruit of the vine. That, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom. So the fruit of the vine is synonymous with the fourth cup. That's what they would call the fourth cup. This was the, the cup of consummation. This is the cup signifying that God has taken you in. He is uh, our God and, and we are his people. This is the cup that represents the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. This is the cup that represents life in the promised land. The fruit of the vine represents the wine that was made from the grapes that they got in the promised land. You remember when the scouts went into the promised land? You remember the story? And they were trying to like figure out what's in there. And they found giants, but then they also found these, uh, uh, these, these grapes. And they carried the grapes in. It took two guys to carry in like a bundle of grapes. And the grapes were like as big as somebody's head. You remember this story? And they were blown away by the abundance in the promised land. I don't know much about wine. Maybe Andy Hammond can answer this, but I would say a grape the size of your head could make some pretty good wine. At least make a lot of it, right? This is the fourth and final cup of the Passover meal, the meal that signifies life in the promised land. Jesus says, I'm not going to drink that. He drank cup one the cup of sanctification. He drank cup two, the cup of deliverance. He drank cup three, the cup of redemption. But cup four, the cup of consummation, the cup of life in the promised land, he left it on the table. He said, I'm not gonna touch that. I'm gonna wait to drink that until we're all together in the kingdom of God. Do you remember Jesus' first public miracle? He was at a wedding with his mom, and uh, they ran out of wine. You remember this story? And that was a great dishonor to somebody to run out of wine. They were ill-prepared. Uh, they should have got some of the ladies from our church to plan this out because then they'd been fine, okay? There had been plenty, more than enough. They ran out of wine. And so uh, Jesus' mother came to Jesus, and she's like, you got to do something. And so Jesus, because you, you can't hardly say no to your mom, right? So Jesus he says, I want you to fill up these huge vats of water. And so the servants do that. And then Jesus says, I want you to just get a cup of that water. 
and I want you to take it to the head waiter so he can taste it. And so they did. They took the cup out of the vat, and they took it to the head waiter. And this is what the head waiter said, John chapter 2, verse 10. Everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then, after the people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Believers, Jesus promises us that there is a fourth cup in our future. He has saved the best for last. Don't lose heart in this world marked by bitter herbs and food shortages. Don't lose heart in this world marked by baby-killing evil tyrants. Don't be lose heart in this world governed by demonic ideologies. Jesus has promised us sweet abundance. Jesus has promised us a prosperous peace. Jesus has promised us joyful dancing in our future. Christ has brought us out of the darkness. Christ has delivered us from the power of the evil one. Christ has redeemed us from the power, by the power of his blood. And Christ has sealed us for the day of salvation and the kingdom of heaven. At this time, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. They're going to pass out the bread and the cup today. We're going to, we're going to celebrate. We're going to share in the Lord's table together. And so as they pass out these emblems, I'm going to ask that you just hold on to them. And uh, we're going to take them all at the same time. These are emblems for believers, a sign and a seal for the children of God. If you take these emblems in an unworthy fashion, uh, you drink judgment on yourself, is what the Bible tells us. And so I would encourage you, if you're not a believer here today, refrain from taking this, these emblems. But for those who do believe, you are commanded to take the cup, the bread in the cup. Jesus says, take it and eat. Jesus says, as often as you would, do this and remember to me. There's a reason. What we do here is not arbitrary. Friends, you need Christ's body. You need Jesus's blood. You need it. You will not survive without it. Your faith will fail you without it. You need it. And so as you take these emblems, be reminded that Jesus says, this is my body. Not just this represents my body. Jesus is saying, this is my body. In some mysterious way, Jesus meets us physically and spiritually in these emblems. I can't explain it, but this is what I know from the, 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 the bottom of my heart. These things will feed your soul. This is a moment where, you know, uh, Moses takes the staff and he puts it into the Red Sea. This is the tip of the staff that parts the waters. You know the story of the woman who had the issue of bleeding and she tried everything she could to, to, to get well. She spent all of her money and she went to every doctor and things didn't get better. They just got worse. Jesus is walking through town and she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be made well. And so she reaches out through the crowd and she grabs just the hem of his garment and immediately she's made well. Listen, friends, we have an opportunity now as we take these emblems to touch the hem of Christ's garment. There's healing and there's forgiveness and there's restoration and there's strength found in these emblems. They are the body and the blood of Christ. And so I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna ask the ushers to go ahead and start passing them out. And as they do, just hold on to them. Like I said, don't take them yet. We're all going to take them together. Let's all stand together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup saying, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink.
Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your covenant. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Mark 3, or 13, 26. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Every Passover ended with them singing a hymn. Uh, Their hymns were the Psalms. And the psalm that they would sing to end the Passover, this is your homework, is Psalm 136. I want you to read that today. Psalm 136 is one of the most repetitive psalms. Over 20 times, this is the theme of the psalm. The faithful love of the Lord endures forever. The faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Are you sick? His faithful love endures forever. Are you hurting? His faithful love endures forever. Are you caught in sin? His faithful love endures forever. Are you having a crisis of faith? His faithful love endures forever. As we sing this song, let's celebrate the goodness of our Lord. If you're here today and you need prayer, please come and kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. As we sing this song, come.